everybody. Welcome to Literary Disco episode 106, Norse Mythology. Today, we are going well beyond Thor and Loki and deep into Gungnir and Baldur and Jarmungandr territory as we discuss Neil Gaiman's brand new retelling of Norse mythology. But also, hopefully, this book will serve as a launching point for a discussion of mythology and older storytelling traditions in general. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Hey, guys. And my gardener and my barking dog. Yeah. Hi. Hi, gardener and barking dog. <laughs> my cats Look, are silent, and as always, I have no yard, so. <laughs> I just want you not all to know the struggle of living in a house on a golf course in Southern California in, in springtime. The gardener shows up, the dog starts to bark, but I'm here devoted to literature, you know? Like, Ryder can have his all artisanal breads and all that stuff. Me, I'm devoted to uh, conspicuous consumption and liberal politics. Great. Um, <laughs> that's how we're doing. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you guys have been watching, and I know I haven't, but are either of you concerned about the utter destruction of America from the inside out? <laughs> um, On a daily yes. basis, from moment to moment. <laughs> how, how, how do you guys structure your day in terms of having attention span to do things? Like this week, I had all these big plans of stuff I was going to do, and then... Like, I'd wake up, and my wife would come into the bedroom, and she'd be like, do you want to know what happened today? And it would be like 9.30 in the morning, and I'll be like, yeah, thinking, you know. What could oh, possibly have happened? Know, what could possibly have happened? Oh, did, did the moon fall from the sky, or, you know, whatever. And what happens is she'll come in, and she'll give me, like, a list of, like, ten things that have happened that would normally consume my entire emotional bandwidth for things outside of my actual life. Mm-hmm. And then that's all I can do just to not just lay in bed in a pool of my own urine looking at the internet on my okay, phone. Okay, so my solution has actually been this podcast because it's forcing me to read. Like, I really mm -hmm. think books are the salvation right now. Uh, like, personally, if I am trying to write, if I am trying to do anything that involves my computer, which is so much of what I do these days, I can't help but check the news every hour or two and then that hour turns into a lost hour or two because I want to hear what so-and-so says about it which leads me to this other person that retweeted this other person that and it's like we're consuming the commentary and the commentary on the thing that just happened that's going to lead to this thing that's going to just and it's like whereas when you sit down and read a book there's nowhere else to go and you're forced to try at least to you know sustain your attention span for more than 20 minutes and that like to like when like just reading this Norse mythology book was just such a, a like a, a sedative for me, <laughs> and yes, a bomb, a bomb, and it, but it was so mm. calming and like, and I feel so good like after finishing this book and um and also the types of stories it told that you know this sort of like giant big 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 world building craziness like so otherworldly but then inexorably linked to the natural world um it just it was exactly what i needed and it totally saved me um reading it the last couple days uh 
like finished it this morning and it was just a joy. So I think reading is the answer. Reading real books, not on your fucking well, iPad. That's a good w- one. Wendy's, Wendy's been reading like a classic a week, basically. Like Great. I think she's reading mm. Edith Wharton or something right now. But I, I my school year ends in uh, three weeks, so I, I'm reading eight thousand pieces of student work. Right. All of it on my computer. So if I, you know, if I get bored or yeah. frustrated or it's not the same, I'm ready for a break. It's not the same. It's not the same because also when I'm reading student work, I'm critiquing it. You know, I'm, I'm putting in notes. It's an actual it's an actual process. But I can get pulled away from that because in the other side of the house, like I always know when it's five o'clock because I'll be sitting at my desk in my office and I'll hear Wendy say, oh, go fuck yourself. And I'll be like, what? Did I say something? Did I do something? It's like, no, the president did. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what's going on? She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just talking to Chris Hayes. I was like, oh. So (laughs) I have two, well, I have three things. I never watch the news on TV ever. Neither do I. Never. I subscribe to the Washington Post and the New York Times, and then sometimes I'll watch some YouTube clips, but that's basically it. You you do not need to get your news from television. Like that, I never, in in my life, and I, I think it's horrible. And then number two, I've been trying to commit to doubling down in my community, so I feel like there's actual impact. So just uh, yesterday or two days ago, I went to a um, anti-deportation meeting at the library a couple doors down from my house to find out what kind of things were going on and what I could do. And I just put myself on every mailing list for, like, people who actually want to do shit. I think that is the best possible thing that that anyone can do. I agree. I guess we haven't talked about this before, but I also started a political action, like, group with friends in our neighborhood. And then I've... um, I haven't joined officially yet, but I've been going to neighborhood council meetings and, you know, trying to get involved in local politics as much as possible, just so you feel like you're doing something. I'm, um, yeah. I'm also back to, um, I don't know how to say this the right way. Um, I'm back to fighting with white supremacists on the internet. No, stop. <laughs> okay, Todd. That is the, exactly the wrong answer. Okay, so Todd, we've already identified... You watch TV news. This is problem number one. You have some unhealthy behaviors. I do. I do. I do. These are habits that don't make you feel better. They make you feel worse. Like, I got into an argument with this woman this morning who, like, it's this this message board where basically every day for, like, I don't know, five, seven minutes, I tell people that they're fucking morons. And this woman uh, today said, about the uh, the special prosecutor or whatever. Those who have the most to worry about are Hillary, Loretta Lynch, John Podesta, and Bill Clinton. Yeah, it okay. should be significant. They are a significant piece of the puzzle. Impeached. And I was like... But I, it's important for me to see, in some cases, like how these people think. And it's like, you don't even understand what this person... Uh, so, you know, that devolved into me calling someone a fucking moron for, I mean, in artful ways, uh, for like 10 or 15 minutes. And I, actually, I found that cathartic. I don't think this is good. <laughs> I don't think this is good. Nope. I know you're doing better stuff, and we all know you shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be doing it. I know. Just don't do it. All right, it. let's get into Norse mythology, because I feel like we're going to argue just as much, but at least it will have something to do with something our listeners really care about. Hopefully. Right. Or or a little bit more productive. Because um, yeah, Todd has already world. insinuated, pre-recording, that he found this to be tedious. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. so I, two things happened. 
I listened to this book half as an audiobook, and then I read the other Ooh, half of it. Who so, reads the audiobook? Was it Neil Gaiman? Uh, Neil Gaiman does. Oh, cool. Neil Gaiman does. Um, so I, we had a long drive to make this last weekend. We drove up to Merced, um, which is in Central California, also known as the middle of fucking no place where you ever need to be, um, to see my lovely niece graduate from college at UC Merced. So we had a six-hour drive one way, so 12 hours in the car, and so we listened to like the first three hours of the book, uh, and I was like, I, I'm nodding off. This is, I, I need... Oh, but this is good. To... So you can actually pronounce these names for us? Uh, <laughs> I have no. writers in a very practical mode. No. <laughs> so Neil Gaiman has actually a very lovely reading voice, um, but his the, the actual presentation of events and the reading of it sounded like a bedtime story. So like 15 minutes yes. in, I was... I was like stopping myself from curling into a ball and putting on feetsy pajamas. Um, so I, the second half of the book I enjoyed more than the first half. But the other thing is that I, I failed mythology in college twice. How do you fail mythology? Well, that's a great question, you Julian. I'm glad up. that you asked. I, I, I didn't show up the first time. And then the second time, it's because I don't give a fuck about fake gods. Oh, as wow. opposed to the real ones? I don't give a fuck about a real oh god. god. <laughs> and so, amazing for me, the suspension of disbelief required to enjoy the stories is like, it's like, it's like nine levels of suspension of disbelief. So, I, and I don't like any story that ends with, and that's how you know about blah, blah, blah. I just, oh, I don't give a shit. Okay, this is interesting. <laughs> All right, this is fascinating yeah, because... This, so you are a lover of literature, yes, which is all about using stories to make meaning, Correct. which is exactly what mythology is. I mean, could, wouldn't we argue that mythology is the basis for all literature? Yeah, it is. I, so what is it about mythology that turns, is it like the tone? It's the tone. It's the uh, inner life of the gods. Um it's the that I, I not only do I not believe in the gods, of course, um, but that the stories. Yeah, but I don't believe in Holden Caulfield. No, I know. I'm like I don't I believe this guy exists. But so. it's there's there's just <laughs> there's a lot of just like why am I hearing fake stories about fake things that actually have no empathetic connection to me as a human being? It's, I mean, sometimes it's my problem with. Uh, fantasy, like we talked about this before, like sometimes I just have a hard mm. time feeling a connection to you know people on the planet Nifgard or whatever. Um, but in this case, the the tone annoys me, and um, I the 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 moral of the story is bothers me. All that stuff. It's just, it just it, I don't like I don't like tomatoes, and I don't like mythology. Hmm. I think this wow. is amazing. Like, I, I find it... I mean, I, I, I think probably a, uh, there are a lot of people that, that feel similarly, I guess. Um, but I could not feel more opposite than you. Like, reading this book was, for me, uh, not only for the reasons I already said, but also for its actual content. Like, this is one of the greatest books I've read in a long time. Like, I fucking loved it. And the experience of reading it was, you know, like parts I just felt parts of my brain opening up that have been closed and um 
yeah, like there's nothing. I mean, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about when I feel like when mythology is poorly presented, mm-hmm. I feel the way that you do when when it's like if, like if I were to read a Wikipedia page on some of these and you know or Wikipedia entry on some of these stories, right. which I did at one point because I wanted more background on like one of the stories. Uh, it's just like name, weird pronunciation name, met this weird, you know, it just like all becomes a jumble of like, I, th- there's not a, a, a sort of uh, coherent tone or um, uh, a voice guiding me through it. And what I loved about like what I thought that Neil Gaiman accomplished with this was, was um, making me feel like I was in the hands of a confident storyteller oh, guiding sure. me through mm-hmm. sure. what otherwise would be an overwhelming mess of names and but there's but that that addition of his personality and his ability to um okay well let, let's talk about like oral traditions in, uh-huh. in general like the 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 goal is completely different right like the point of these stories is so different than what we think of as literature now post 20th century um where our like our idea is that if you imagine like the writer is a, a person who uh, imagines something a person named Holden Caulfield who goes through his day and does his thing and then the the strength of the writing is their ability to convey this sort of fixed reality whether it's actually reality or something that they imagined and that was realistic right but the point of mythology is completely opposite of that it's to open up the story it's not to fix anything down. It's not to convey the real story or the, the what actually happened or even to... It, it's the idea is that you're inspired to want to retell it. The idea is to tell mm-hmm. a story so that somebody turns around and has to tell them again, which is why I think your comparison to bedtime stories is perfectly apt because bedtime stories are all we have in our culture left that is this tradition because even our storytelling tradition now if you think of like all the storytelling revital revitalizing that's gone on with the moth and and that we we still think of storytelling as like and then this happened and then this happened and my version is the finished version and that's like antithesis of an oral tradition the oral tradition is about and uh, I am not the the defining storyteller. I am like a conduit of these stories that have been handed to me. And so a lot of the things that you're bothered by are actually like uh, mnemonic devices, ways to sort of like fix the story into people's minds. And like I've totally experienced this with my son already because he's at a stage right now where he wants where we're off. He wants to hear stories. Right. He doesn't want me to read books. It's like he wants to hear stories once I put him in bed. So like. Now I'm trying to tell him stories, and like initially I would just make something up. It'd be like Coyote was walking and met Turtle, and they did this, and like he would never ask for those stories again. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, "Want to hear more about Coyote?" He'd be like, "Meh." And then I said, I told him Goldilocks out of desperation one night, and then now he wants Goldilocks every night. And you realize That's like so why? What is so good about Goldilocks? Well, it's repetitive, right? It's like there's three chairs. And then there's three bowls of mm-hmm. porridge. Mm-hmm. And then there's three beds. And like, what the fuck is Goldilocks all about? It's kind of a meaning. It's like not a great story, in, but he loves it. And then it was like, okay, Jack and the Beanstalk loves it. Wants it every night. And like you realize, oh, there's a reason that these stories are the ones that we keep retelling or the ones that we remember. It's because there's things within them, whether it's like the rep- repetition of fee-fi-fo-fum or the, you know, the repetition of the bowls of porridge or whatever it is, there's something about them that inspires retelling and that they're not actually supposed to be fixed and decided forever. They're supposed to be 
memorable just enough and weird enough and open-ended enough weird to like sort of force the person yeah. that hears them to want to go and tell them again and that is like to me the greatest act of like that's the greatest thing that literature could possibly do and 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 we we don't we've lost that like we don't do that we always think of things as you know and this is part of the writing tradition but the fact that Neil Gaiman was able to write a version of that I think is like one like the coolest accomplishments of art yeah I've seen and I'm not so saying long. that Neil Gaiman did his job poorly I I just right. didn't care <laughs> you just don't like the you don't like yeah, the form I, I mean so the, I mean the one what story I think... that really worked for me at the end at least was Thor's journey to the land of the giants because at the end Thor has an epiphany and you realize that this experience of being um of being fooled and being shown an illusion essentially has now changed the way Thor looks at his role as a god and so maybe it's just that I require more introspection in my characters when I'm reading a book um but I'm, I'm sorry I interrupted you Julie go ahead so yeah I mean that's it's so interesting because Todd you're like very character based you know reader and these they're about characters like it's easy to say that mythology is about characters but it's not about characters it's about the world and seeing it in a shifting right. changing new way so like the the origin i mean i i took loved and got an a in mythology <laughs> uh, so um you know we spent a lot of time talking about different origin myths and like this one you know there's describes this like genderless mm -hmm. giant and then um in the well, i mean one great thing about great mythology is the the changes in the plot do feel truly unexpected. Mm -hmm. So basically Odin's like, oh, time to make the world. So we got to carve up this giant. And then it ends with these like crazy imagery, uh, imageries of like clouds are this giant's brain mm -hmm. floating around and we're going to make a wall out of its eyelashes. And so first of all, just seeing the world like that is just so cool yeah. and interesting, I think. Very artistic. Um, it's not about individual characters learning anything. But I mean, what I love about obviously many mythological traditions that Norse mythology does the best is this like trickster drive. So Loki, Loki is you know everyone's like oh Loki, oh, you suck in every story. But he also both creates the problems and then solves them. And is his mischievousness or his like his way of being a pain in the ass essentially is what makes the stories like we don't want all gods like odin or zeus they don't do they don't do enough to like drive the stories oh, forward or drive culture so forward yeah loki is clearly yeah. the more interesting yeah lo loki's got some shit going yeah. on the the weird thing though the other, the other thing that i bring from my own personal experience is that i don't know if you guys experience this as middle school or high school students but there was always that friend of yours who was like, oh, you guys start calling me Loki. Like, no, you yeah. fucked hard. I'm not no, going to call we you don't Loki. Have that. <laughs> but I, I knew like a bunch of yeah, dudes. But I mean, well, not a bunch, but like a fair number of them. Like that was their D&D &D name. I'm Loki. Call me Loki. And they were living in the. Sure. They weren't living in the, the default world anymore. They were Loki, the trickster. Loki, Loki yeah, gets his but mouth they think... shut. So. <laughs> yeah, but Loki also to solve a problem of his own creation turns into a mare and then 
has sex with a horse and then has a horse child who no one ever yeah. can acknowledge just, that was in front one of, of my him. Favorite that moments. is so, was so great. Yeah, he, the, the, the story, let's just recap that part of the story is that Loki's gotten someone in such trouble, or I forget, that he needs to get rid of this horse. So he turns himself into a horse because he can shapeshift. And he turns himself yeah. into a horse. sexy female horse and, <laughs> and leads away this guy's horse so that the guy can't finish the job building this wall that the gods need, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, exactly. It's just blah, the sort blah, of blah. Coda That's at, the problem. No, blah, but, blah, blah. Well, I could, I could tell you the story, but I would waste our listeners' time. They should read it. But the point is, I, I could tell you my version of it, but... What's great is that the the coda at the end is, which I think is even better than whatever the story was saying, is that he, Loki comes back as this horse, or and this, or he comes back and there's this other horse just kind of following him around. You realize it's his kid because he was a female horse and he gave birth, and he's like kind of ashamed of having had sex with this. It, it's so great. It's like he gets yeah. his comeuppance because he's the one that put them in this situation, and then he's the one that gets them out of it, and then he sort of has this lingering like shame of this kid that it's and yeah i mean all of that shit i just i love the i mean i think i think part of i think todd part of like what you're resisting is um is engagement with the story on a level that we like we're kind of incapable of engaging with it on the level we're supposed to you know like really you would have to hear a story four times around a campfire over the course of three seasons and then you would start to wonder why did that character do that and then in the act of you going to tell the story to your children after having had generations of telling the story you would you would have a different spin on it and like that is the like you know when you don't have television when you don't have books to read when you don't have podcasts when you don't have anything to do but the natural world um thinking about like why the interior life of these gods or, or why these characters did these things was what these stories were about for you to go off and do that on your own and then to tell your version of the story so it's actually engaging the brain in a way that we don't anymore because our entertainment our books just tell you this is why this person did well, you know this, what? Also, this is why that I, person I, did that. And it moralizes the universe in a way that these stories... I sort of have a, a, a low tolerance for whimsy. So, like, I, I, can, I can engage... I You're know, such a grouchy I, I can engage bag with today. whimsical <laughs> for a while, but not... Like, I can watch one episode of Doctor Who, but I can't watch the fucking marathon of Doctor Who. Like, the marathon of Doctor Who, I'm like... A lot of this doesn't make sense. This Time Lord, that doesn't make sense. Um, and so... But see, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. 2, right? And it was like, fine. Like, it came at together in the end, fine, and like, whatever. But like, halfway through, I'm like, I feel like I'm stuck at a friend's house at eight years old, and I'm having to watch him play with yeah, his that, G.I. Yeah, that's, how I, that's, like, how, that's how, how I feel, feel like. sometimes. <laughs> this is not a movie. This is watching somebody else's, like... And, and and I think what that is 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 like that whimsy is fixing it. It's about like defining it and visualizing it. Like the whole point of like the point of 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 of, of, of stories like this to me are to push your imagination in ways that are not visual. That you like they're it's impossible. You can't the scale of the things that they talk about. My favorite line is this one. It's on page two hundred and three when it's describing an enormous hall, the Valhalla. It says it was an enormous hall. It had 540 doors, and each door allowed 800 warriors to walk abreast. It seated more people than the mind mm-hmm. could hold. 
And I was like, that mm-hmm. is what so much of these stories are about, is like those kinds of mind-bending exercises. You know, there's that one section where they have to get the ingredients for the, for the chain, and they describe the things that go into the chain, and it's like the footsteps mm-hmm. of a cat, the beard of a woman, and it's right. like all these weird yeah. things that you go, and then they're like, and then Neil Gaiman adds this sort of little parenthetical commentary, like, haven't seen these things? It's because they ran into the chain. Like, they don't exist anymore yeah. anymore. And it's like, right. that's the kind of weird world-building, mind-bending muscle of our brain that we don't use anymore. Because when we listen to stories like this, we imagine them in their Disney versions, where it's like, oh, you know, Coyote was like a little person coyote walking around. But if you actually think about, like, coyote stories in the Native American context, they didn't fix Coyote as like an actual, it was an oral story. It only existed as a, as a thing that a person was telling you and that you would have to retell later to your friends or your children and that that's the point of the story. So Coyote at one point could actually be a coyote on all fours. At another point could be flying in the air. At another point could be a person who has a human yeah, wife. A guy. It doesn't matter. Like yep. there's like fixing it and like wanting to fix it is only our culture at this point in time, like we're the only human beings that have ever tried to do that. And it's, I, it's like only, I don't, I'm, I think that this is so well, important that we try and get back to this. Yeah. Well, okay. So as Ryder goes down his make storytelling great again, narrative here, yeah, I, I don't manga. think that it's, I want to get back to something that you said. Um, but I, I don't feel like we have to be like old storytelling is good. New storytelling is bad. It's just a different style. And what, what our American brains like hate about this is something that you said, Ryder, um, that's really important, which is like they're so amoral. Yeah. Like there's mm-hmm. no lessons. Like I like Todd, for you to imply that there's and that's why like there really isn't that. They just kind of end weirdly. Um and all really ancient mythology does that. It's not like, oh, you make a judgment XYZ. It's just like, well, this is what happened, deal with it, you know? Like right. Zeus turned into a bull and raped some people. Yup, that's who he was, just like he saved us later. And uh, part of whatever. that part of that um, was because the stories are like the, even the fact that this is broken into chapters is ridiculous because the stories are supposed to be like there. If you notice, yeah. even within the chapters, they're like discrete packets of stories. So it's like, you know, I, I'm trying to think of an example, but like, you know, if, if there's like the, the moment where Loki and his horse, for instance, like that ends up being its own little mini story on a story about a guy who came to build a wall for them. But even in like the building the wall story, there was the like going to get the cauldron story. And like, it's obvious that they're all not meant to like be one uh, like teleological through line of like, and then the lesson was learned and so-and-so went home. It's like, it's this continuum of individual little moments that you can stack and restack as a storyteller. So like you remember that like the one guy's eyes are the burning two stars in the sky, right? Like that's the mnemonic device that you remember. And I don't remember the guy's name. It's Tiaz or Tiaz. So it's like, you have that part like, oh, right. Well, how did his eyes end up there? And you remember that, but you could work backwards from that and create your own combination of like, oh, that had to do with the cauldron story. Mm -hmm. And then you like combine those two and suddenly you're a storyteller that's reinvigorated the tradition and like continued it. And, and it's like, so it's, it, that's all part of like the, it's having a non-moralized, non-ending universe is the goal. And that's, that's why it continues. That's why I think these stories will See, always be cool. And I, 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 mm-hmm. I want my stories to not end in chaos. Like I don't want them to just to continue. Of course. On. Um, right. No, that's the way we all are. Right. That's the way I think we're trained to be. And like, I think it's important that we try and get in touch with, with something beyond that. I, I think it's 
it's fascinating, I, and I think it's a good exercise. I think the the one story that um, has some relevance for me today, as as a person, the one that I will take with me out into the world and will retell to my kinfolk, is the Mead of Poets. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Odin blew some of the mead out of yep. his behind, a splattery wet fart of foul-smelling mead right in Satung's face, blinding the giant and throwing him off Odin's trail. No one, then or now, wanted to drink the mead that came out of Odin's ass. But whenever you hear bad poets declaiming their bad poetry, filled with foolish similes and ugly rhymes, you will know which of the meads they have tasted. Yes. See what I love about Hilarious. I love that, and I what I love about that is that it's the yeah. same me, right? Like the idea is that like the goal of poetry is kind of the same in both cases. And that that story was so amazing. It's like the spit of these guys creates mm-hmm. the mead, and then that gets like drunk by these people, and then they have to steal it from this person who steals it from this god who takes it to this giant. It's like, yeah, until it's Odin that finally. Oh downs it all and the only way he downs it all by the way is pretending to be somebody else becoming a like this phallic snake and penetrating a mountain and then like making love with the daughter giant who was supposed to be guarding the mead and like i loved that because it's to me it's told this story about like the inspiration of poetry do you know what i mean like like it felt it Mm -hmm. felt like this awkward young love where it's like you, you want the words to express how you feel. And the only way to do that is to, you know, like, but it's also kind of uh, duplicitous because he's like only trying to, he's convincing her that he needs to drink the mead of poetry in order to describe her well and beautifully. Um, so it has this like Romeo quality to it of like pathetic young love that is like actually kind of selfish and, and self-referential. And I, I, I thought that was so wonderful. Like, that's probably one of the best. All right, so in the here, whole book. here's my question for uh, yeah. for you two, um, and and I mean this in all seriousness. Why do we need to have, or why do we still need to tell the stories of Norse gods in order to impart these kinds of stories? Like of all the history of the world, everything that's existed. Why are we still telling this particular fairy tale versus any other fairy tale? Well, I think here's here's my answer to that. We shouldn't be telling any one. We shouldn't be selecting our favorite fairy tale. That's one way to see the world. You know what I mean? So having this in the mix with Greek mythology, which is very similar, or the Bible, or, you know, anything like Old Testament stories are very mythological in tone and whatever, um, to just see that a Native American story is the same, you know, just see that there are multiple ways of seeing and explaining human behavior and the history of the world. I mean, it's it's history. You should be keeping as diverse a mind as you possibly can and as open a mind to seeing, to telling these stories. Like, it's not a competition. We can, these stories are easy to remember. Like, these, we should be absorbing as many as possible. That's my feeling. Right. I mean, the counterpoint to what you, like, I think underlying your question, Todd, is an assumption that there's, like, a definitive set of stories. I mean, I, I think the assumption that's underlying your question is the assumption that we all have been raised with, which is that there is a uh, Old Testament Judeo-Christian basis of stories and that like those stories are somehow fixed. And that is clearly a bias in like the world that we live in where, you know, uh, as uh, Louis C.K. pointed out in his most recent podcast, like 
Christians have decided right. the date, right? <laughs> like we live in a world where the, the Christians have won in the sense that like, and, and I think that it goes back to a rabbinical tradition of like, calling these stories and fixing them and writing them down and you know ever since written language and like we're still in, we're still in the throes of one culture's dominance and that is there's a lot of factors going into that right economic uh uh colonial mm. what there's so many like you know horrific things girding the strength of that dominance it's not based on the quality of those stories mm-hmm. we can all accept that yeah. i think i hope because there's nothing and, and in fact i would say there's a poverty of good stories in the bible because the bible has a very clear goal right behave this way or behave that way don't eat this don't eat that and so i find that those traditions of having written down while they were great in the name of you know eventually leading us to the enlightenment and and science and it, it's not ironic um, that was the I think it's and now <laughs> yeah. I think I, I but I think there's I, but I think that you know there's some, uh, well you know you go back to Greeks who mm-hmm. were also doing all of it before and we had about a thousand or two thousand three thousand four thousand years of uh, misery and hell in, in the meantime but yeah like I think I think that there's a way that these stories are essential to getting in touch with something that's more human and I think that's more. Um, like about the face-to-face human interaction and yeah, it can be tribal, like, you know, but I think like exactly what Julia said, the more we open ourselves up to a diversity of these stories and recognize that these were things that were told for some Mm -hmm. kind of reason or maybe not a good reason, but maybe they're still just fun to engage with. And like, I I don't know, like the fact that there's a trickster figure in almost every mythology, uh, except except Judeo-Christian is interesting to me. Like, that's Mm -hmm. really, we don't have, like, you don't read in the Old or New Testament a figure that is anywhere near what Coyote represented or Loki. No, because because a a trickster in in Judeo-Christian, or specifically Christian, is an operative of the devil. Mm -hmm. The devil is the the closest thing to a trickster. That's Paradise Lost. Right. Paradise Lost. Because there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no shade of gray in someone who has the propensity to do bad things. Well, Um, and that's what... Because they have to ask for forgiveness. Just to pull pull back to these stories, and, well, first of all, I know I've mentioned this probably, like, two years ago, but Neil Gaiman also wrote another book that I absolutely loved, which was called The Graveyard Book, which was a retelling of The Jungle Book in a graveyard. So it was, like, Mm. a boy who was alive, who was raised by ghosts. Oh, so good. Um, But one thing that... You know, and this is just like a mini story, as Ryder said, but, you know, there's three. Loki has three illegitimate children and one is this girl who's like completely like she's kind of a corpse. Her face is all messed up, et cetera. And they're like, are you alive or dead? And she's like, I'm I am who I am. And they're like, great, go go live in hell. Great. Here's here's a room for you, you know, and that is what is so great about so many of these traditions. I mean, in Greek and Roman mythology, too, like the underworld is not an evil place. It's just a second place. You know, it's another universe and which takes away so much of our fear of death, which is probably why (laughs) we as Americans don't like it. But um, that like that is a very specific example of like why it's good to have these stories in the culture. You know, like I I don't believe I'm going to go hang out with this dead corpse girl, but to think of it as (laughs) just another plane of reality is really it's really intellectually interesting um, Mm -hmm. in a way that like do everything right or else you'll burn in fire forever just isn't that 
um, compelling to me. Well, and I, I mean, I, I guess that in that way, you know, the Greek and Roman mythology and the Norse mythology do offer a sort of moral complexity that the Bible does not yeah. in many ways. Having read that or having read, you know, the Talmud and the Midrash and all the stuff that I've been reading of late. Um, I don't know. I guess part of it for me is when reading these things, like, you know, obviously I, I see Neil Gaiman's talent. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic writer and I wasn't not entertained by the book um, or by his stories or by, you know, his, his take on things. Um, but as soon as I was done reading it, and this is the opposite of what I think writer would argue he hopes would happen for people when they read it is I, I forgot them completely. Mm. They they stopped having any relevance to me completely. It was like um, it was like eating a piece of fudge. It's like oh, I really enjoyed that fudge, but I I can't describe to you the flavor of the fudge. Oh, right see, now. I was inspired. Mm. Like I'm gonna like now. I can't wait to read these two indie. Like, do you know what I mean? Like even if I can't remember everything about these stories, like I want to hand them over, and like I can't wait to tell him or read. I'll probably just end up reading from this book. You know, um, so it, like I it what's the word it's like because the stories are so unfinished and weird and continue on like living sort of outside of me like i have to go revisit them mm -hmm. which is like i think well, the, you know in, in our culture in our world it's like oh the movie's over like i don't need to see it again um or whatever mm -hmm. you know i know what i happened. know what happened like, it's, it's yeah. about suspense right. Right. whereas like this is like a sort of ongoing world that like that's why the end of the book is so beautiful it's because it, it talks about ragnarok which is like the apocalypse that's going to come but then like even the end of that becomes this weird like new chess game for the gods where they're going to all be reborn and play chess again and like do it again and like that that sense of continuity makes me want to like keep returning like i don't feel like i finished this book which is such a weird feeling because mm -hmm. it's 300 pages or so of reading that I did and I felt great about. But like, I, instead I feel more like, oh, I have to go back. I have to go back. Because what was that thing that happened? That was really funny. Like, that's weird. I couldn't remember the exact details. But like, and that, that engagement. What about, what about all the stories? What about all the stories though, that have at their center point that a woman needs to be given to some monster? Right. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying. <laughs> Like, I mean, like that—that's one part of it where I kept thinking, well, well, this is, you know, I mean, I understand obviously that this is a trope of mythology, um, but it's also like just a it, when you see it over and over again, like I, do this, and then I then you will give me your woman folk. It becomes a little distasteful, and I know it's done whimsically here, and. I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about Neil Gaiman. Well, that's here, why I, I disagree with writers. Let's make storytelling great again. Premise. Right. This is just one kind. This is one point of view. And like Greek mythology, I think has a lot more problems with that. In fact, I suspect that Neil Gaiman really picked and chose uh, yeah. what stories he was telling. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of moments where women are like, uh, "Hell no," which right. is nice. Um, but I mean, it's also like this is where the history comes into play like this is also a historical reality like if you look right. at this as a historical document you know it is important People were to not women. erase true. that 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 was happening you know what right. i mean by the way have you read the bible lately <laughs> 
I mean, like, talk about patriarchy. Yeah, I mean, the Bible you know what I mean? Like, that's actually, again, fixing it. Like, this is the that's way literal patriarchy. To, right. <laughs> I, I think that, like, you know, if there's if there's a patriarchal tone that, yeah, that comes from the historical context that, that these stories were being told, great, but that's our opportunity to retell them better. You know, like, that's, we're invited right. by these and stories think, as opposed to the Neil Bible, Gaiman, which, like, literally tells us, don't change the story, retell it exactly, reread right. it. You know, or you know, or and you look in, at the Quran. You can't actually time. translate the Quran. Like translating the Quran is illegal according to the you know the laws of the Quran. So like if you buy it in English, it's the meaning of the Quran because it can only exist in the original language. Like it's you're you know it's it's like a define a definitive text. That's the point of a Bible or a, you know and, and yeah, I think that you know we're we're worse off for those kinds of texts personally. Yeah, and I mean I, I'm not saying that. Neil Gaiman is somehow guilty of, of you know, propagating, you know, the, the worst of human culture. It, it's the truth of, of, of the history of, of humankind is we have treated our women poorly. And I think he does do, um, you know, he, he does make his women a little stronger to say, you know, essentially, you know, there's no fucking way I'm going with this fucking orc or whatever it is. Um, and at no point does the word fucking show up, but you get the point. Um, but I mean, that, that, that's, it's just this thing of, um, the, the mythology of the world has mythologized bad behavior also. And I'm, and I'm not saying that mythology is, is, um, guilty of causing bad behavior. I'm just saying that. Like there's there's better stories we can tell that don't have to repeat the same trope sometimes. And, For sure. And I don't know. I. Well, I think one set of stories that we've kind of vaguely mentioned but haven't really addressed yet is is the original Grimm's fairy tales. You know, mm-hmm. those are also very strange, very complex, and have a a bit. They have a lot more women in them. I mean, like all these witches and stepmoms and stuff aren't ideal, but right. you know. <laughs> They're at least very interesting, you know, and if you took the moralizing out of those stories, which I haven't read the originals in a while, um, then there's like a richer complexity of action and good guys and bad guys and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, So like there are they are out there. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we need people to be writing and telling better myths all the time it just doesn't mean that we should dump the old no, ones no i think the too. point is no. to be inspired to retell the old ones and to keep continuing them. yeah mm-hmm. but in and a better what, way that's what gavin says in the introduction too that you know his introduction to the mythology was not from reading Norse mythology but from reading right, comic which books. is great which mm-hmm. is such a good a clear example of like why yeah. those comic books were so awesome you know like that it introduced and, the world and this to, is a, you know, a clear line to that yeah. next level of um people Todd, you know what? I mean, one of the things I wanted to mention is, have you guys listened to uh, this podcast called Myths and Legends? No. No. Oh, this is a great podcast. I'm sure we have a lot of crossover listeners, so I'm probably not telling our listeners anything they don't know. I've listened to every episode of this. It's it's an amazing podcast um, where this guy, um, and as far as I know, he's not even like a professional folklorist or whatever, but now this podcast has become so popular that this has become his full-time job where he retells myths from every culture around the world. Cool. And um, he'll do like, he'll do like 20 episodes on just King Arthur myths. And like oh, wow. each episode will be like one, you know, and he'll, and he does basically what Neil Gaiman did with this book, but in a podcast form, um, which is both 
better in some ways because it's an oral tradition and it's fun to listen to. I tend to listen to it when I'm falling asleep, so I fall asleep often. <laughs> but I th- that's fine. Uh, again, bedtime stories. But um, Ryder, who he also should, does a we, lot we of. We should let the uh, listeners con- know. Ryder revealed to Julia and I today that he sleeps every day ten to eleven hours. Every Not single every day. day, but I feel best when I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But, Todd, the why I think you will like this is that he contextualizes it uh-huh. in, um, in a really good way. Um, and he makes it very contemporary. Like, he, you know, his dialogue, for instance, is very, like, wry and sarcastic. And he sort of inserts his own voice. And then he'll do, like, little asides where he'll be like, in the four, you know, there's this version of the story, but I'm preferring to tell this version because of blah, blah. So it's like you're actually you're getting a sort of myth education while listening to the myth, mm-hmm. um, but with this sort of tongue-in-cheek tone that is really, really playful and um, and fun. Uh, frankly, I'm a little annoyed by it now. Like, I'd much rather he just told the myths, and I wish it was a little more earnest, but I think for people that, you know, are like you, like a little wary of the whole, like, myths, legend thing, his tone is perfect. It's mm-hmm. a perfect way to introduce you to like the Greek world and like, and he'll like, he'll point out the like awfulness of a myth while he's telling it and sort of be like, apparently they thought that women were like this, you know, and he'll like sort sure. of put that like spin on it, that modern spin that makes you like, oh yeah, okay, we can all agree that's shitty that knights treated their women that way, but this is the story. Right. And then we can sort of move on and he'll like try and make it better. Um, but yeah, like I, like I said, I'm a little tired of it now because I've been like I've been listening to all whatever 80 episodes of the show, and his like his tone doesn't really shift based on what's like where he's telling the story from or what kind of story. It's like always this, you know, like uh, I'm a you know storytelling geek and I'm laughing at myself while I'm telling you this thing. So uh, I, I I I think I hope that there are more podcasts like that and the success of that podcast. Uh, I think indicates that there's a real hunger for this. There's a real you know, what's, desire. What's weird is I was actually thinking about mythology um, when I was listening to S Town mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. because that is it's a gothic folklore story, and then you scratch the surface a little bit and you find out it's it's a it's a love story, you know, and it's about um, it's about people trying to find other people that, to care for them and all these other things. Like there, there's the the myth of what this world is, and then there's the reality of what creates the myth. Um, and I'm sure most of our listeners have probably listened to S Town at, at this point already. But if they haven't, my God, you you, you absolutely have well, to. I, it, for me, it was the best storytelling experience of, of 2017. Yeah. I far. also, that I have me. to say, I, I listened to it and really enjoyed it. But it was hilarious to me because hearing people describe it, they're like, it's like true but it's like artfully arranged and told them like this is most people's experience with really good creative nonfiction. that's right. what they're like <laughs> right. if you like right. this i'll give you 20 books that you'll love like no right. problem you know like it's right. not far from midnight in the garden of good and evil which it is uh, not not at all um, not at all, not at all. But but the reason but that, but isn't that interesting that we don't have like the, I, maybe book culture is being supplanted by audio culture which is not horrible. Yeah, right? but wait, Ryder, well, it's always like e- either so or with you. You're always like, is it this or is it this now? Person. It's like, this is, it's a gateway. This is just a different gate for people to walk through. You know, if mm-hmm. people come to creative nonfiction through this, that's going to be good for books. But I do agree that podcasts have been amazing for this. I mean, like, there's so many, I have so many thoughts about podcasts based on what you're saying, Ryder. Um, like, Welcome to Night Vale is a perfect example of a group of people just making modern myths by right. building out a world. Exactly. 
And that's a really cool example. Um, and and the was- interesting thing about that is the podcast I, I really enjoy. I, I bought the book. I did not enjoy the book. Right. That um, makes total sense in the context of what we're talking about. Like you have to have it told and it has to be spun right. out slowly over time. And it, it, and that sort of reminds me of, you know, what I think of a lot when, when people talk about innovation on something, which is something Ryder actually said after people were talking about boyhood. And they were like, oh, my God, it shows people aging in real time. And Ryder said, yeah, like a TV show. like that that fundamentally changed the way i i mean i didn't love boyhood anyway but like that that, that it it became less groundbreaking it it became less groundbreaking (laughs) they went back every year and filmed the same people yeah like a tv show does So the TV show yeah. does it longer. I had, a, I had a unique perspective in order to recognize that. Though. Yeah, yeah, but what, like once you recognize that, you can't unrecognize that as it relates to something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but but that I mean that's why I think that that I, I I've heard the same thing, Julia, about oh my god, it's you know how is this changing things? You know this is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And it's like. Read a fucking book, motherfucker. Read a fucking book. (laughs) Well, and that's how I feel, you know, I think that may be good. We may be wrapping up now as we start to make fun of various things. But, (laughs) you know, I think that's that's the value in this. Like, I mean, I've always wanted to read Norse mythology, but there hasn't been like a good modern go to like in the way that. Um, there have been great modern translations of the Odyssey and other... Okay, yeah, exactly. Right. So this is that. Neil Gaiman saw an opening and, like, what a vehicle he is. Like, he's so rich and he's so famous. Like, he could choose anything to adapt. And I just think it was really cool that he did this, you know? I think a lot of people are going to come in, into contact with these stories, even if they hate them for the first time, and that's going to keep them alive, which I I'm totally for. Agree. Because I, I like based on the popularization of Thor in the comic books and the movies sure. and whatnot, like I had no interest in Norse mythology. Right. <laughs> like I just does not. I was like, oh, I know all this already. They're Viking people with beards, and there's Loki and what? Like I don't know. But now I'm so into it. Like <laughs> just on this, like you know, it sort of it, it reinvented. The it next episode, it's gonna be, hey everybody. I want you to start calling me Loki, and I'm here today with Julia and Todd. Like, Todd, oh, I think fuck. your perspective has really been colored by all the douchebags you've known throughout your life. I think that's probably true. I'm just mm-hmm. glad I wasn't the douchebag calling myself Loki. Okay. Well. Okay.